2: Hello and welcome to Biz Today, I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we'll have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, AI sector has faced a high drama recently, so what happened at OpenAI? China and Saudi Arabia have signed a local currency swap agreement, so what does it mean for both of the two countries? And now let's begin with our top story. Artificial intelligence or the AI sector has faced high drama recently part of it because of OpenAI and the CEO Sam Altman. And meanwhile, AI is already transforming the workplace. A new survey done by Access Partnership and AWS shows that the change of pace has been astonishing. 73% of employers say hiring people skilled in AI is a priority, but three out of four who consider it a priority can't find the AI talent they need. 92% of U.S. organizations surveyed plan to use AI-related solutions by the year 2028. So how will the development of AI change our work and life? And what could be done to regulate it? What are the focal points for AI regulations? For more on this, joined us on the line now are Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Novem Archi Technologies, and also Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So Aina, first I will start with you. This is supposed to be the future of AI, which is the future of the world. But for the open AI, tell us what's happening. I think AI is actually laughing at the human drama there, right?
1: <laughs> well, human drama. So, what you have here is remember, OpenAI was started um, many years ago, and they they, they all said, "Oh, we're going to do something for humanity. This is going to be a nonprofit. We're going to set uh, how AI is not only used but make sure it's safe." And you know, Elon Musk was in on the deal. Everyone got threw in, you know, billions of dollars. It was a huge uh, issue. Then Elon Musk decided, "Well, no, no, let's make some money from this." And he was promptly kind of kicked out. He made his bid to uh, take it over and uh, turn it into a money machine. Um, And now, you know, lo and behold, and remember, uh, Sam Altman at that time was saying, oh, no, you know, we have a responsibility to society. And then all of a sudden, a few years later, when um, ChatGPT hits the, you know, the the crowd, everyone goes wild, you know, (laughs) all of a sudden, Sam Altman seems like He wants to be much more commercial. And he got beyond the comfort level of a lot of his fellow board members, the ones who believed that this was supposed to be a nonprofit, that this is acting on humanity's uh, behalf. So you have this uh, drama that unfolds. They say, you know, you're not the guy that we thought you were. You seem to be interested in making AI chips uh, where you're going to make a lot of money from you know the kind of work that we've done because the chips will be built around the ChatGPT uh, model. So um, they they split ranks, and then all of a sudden there was a huge outcry. Of course, everyone in the C-suite uh, who would stand to benefit if, uh, in fact, Chat ChatGPT does in fact uh, go uh, uh, more in the commercial direction, you know possibly uh, lots of awards of stock and things like this, certainly higher wages. Um, they're all behind uh, Sam Altman. They threatened to resign, as did a large number of the uh, employees. Uh, but, you know, five days later, uh, all of a sudden he's back in control. Uh, I'm sure that the, uh, he's asked the board to resign. I'm sure that they will be going their own ways and that he will be installing a board that is friendly to his vision of uh, uh, ChatGPT, I mean, OpenAI, and how it can be uh, used for um, both uh, purposes, safety, and also making money.
2: Mm. So, what impact could this uh, shakeup have on the company's future direction and its strategy, do you think?
1: Well, as I said, it's going to be, um, he was pushing for more products uh, to strike while the iron is hot. Uh, there's a lot of competition out there. Uh, he believes that they have a first mover advantage and that he wants to capitalize on it. Um, so, you know, safety concerns are kind of pushed to the side. You, uh, I don't know if you know, many of you remember, but he, he has been before congressional committees. He's kind of gone sweet and sour he's talked about the dangers but he also talks uh, a little bit about the opportunities obviously uh what's uppermost in his mind is control at this point he believes that he has a vision um to operate his com his company and also possibly uh, the direction of the industry although i think that's uh, uh, that would be a little bit more than he can do uh, these things tend to go in their own direction mm. they develop their own lifeline and you can see other companies that are going in different directions obviously microsoft a huge player uh, estimated 13 billion dollars into this uh, venture, they were willing to give him a safe harbor as well as a, his employees, and that's when the that was the straw that broke the camel's back and caused the uh, uh, the board to uh, basically retrench and bring him back on and basically get out of the way.
2: And there is also broader discussions about just how, you know, the faster, you know, development of AI technology should be moving. So Jiahe, tell us what type of technological innovation is AI? Is this uh, similar to the Internet, the computer, or electricity, or what others?
3: Well, AI is a, is a very large uh, group you a know, very large category. It's It really differs from area to area, and we have all sorts of AI uh, working out in our, our pro, you know, different industries, you know, military, uh, cons, uh, daily consumption, you know, like open AI, which is like, uh, you know, if you ask a question, it gives you an answer, all these kind of things. So open AI is, is a bit more like, uh, you know, uh, a live library. You don't have to read through books. You just ask them whatever that is, and it tells you, the right answer. And each AI program actually uh, got its different uh, directions and it's actually, uh, you know, obtained through a different uh, set of, you know, programming, all sorts of things. Uh, we currently, um, the AI, if, if you look from human history, maybe in the next 1,000 years, um, the current AI, uh, you know, uh, AI program is actually quite simple. It's, it's it's not like something we imagine that, you know, it's a human being, you teach it what whatever to do, and it, it goes to, you know, schools, universities, and it started to think itself. It, it's not an AI actually like that. It's more like we program uh, a kind of computer robot for whatever the purpose we want to do for example uh, we, we, uh, the open ai system is more like you know uh, many working in the searching of knowledge so if you want to find a piece of knowledge you go to it and actually uh, what it actually does, you know, the open AI program is not, it understands what you're talking about and figure out the right answer for you. Uh, you know, like if you ask a human being about what to do, a thing, um, he actually knows the thing. It, it's not this, uh, it's not like this for the open AI. What it's like is that it it got your question It actually searches through all the database that human beings has uh, ever produced you know search search all this data within just a second or you know one tenth of a second and it finds the most appropriate answer for you that's why sometimes when we ask a very awkward question it gives you a a very awkward answer back, uh, basically because no one has ever asked this question before. So it's a large database, it can't find the right answer and it can't give you uh, the knowledge. So this is how this open AI is actually working. But if you go to some other AI program like the you know the military AI, that's something really different. So if you look at all the AI programs across all the industry, you know, finance, business, consumption, it's all different uh, little uh, programming robots uh, that I would say. Uh, personally I would say it's it's better to call them, you know, programming robots, than AI, it's, it's not that intelligent.
2: So Aina, so what is the precedent from, you know, the previous innovations that could help to understand the potential impact of AI on the labor market and on the economy?
1: Well, think of it like uh, industrialization. Um, in the past, you know, farmers would go out and make crops. In the past, you had lots of people assembling uh, data and analyzing it. Uh, now you have a tool that can do that. But I'm going to disagree or differ a little bit with my colleague on this. It gives you an answer. It, c- correct and right is a highly loaded uh, issue. And the values that are behind that answer are actually inputted uh, by uh, human beings. So, and you only, you don't have access to everything. Uh, it's not om- an omniverse. You have access to what is allowed, what you are allowed to uh, look at. So that's why, you know, who ha- he who has, or they who have the biggest database is in a better position. Also, remember it's, you know, in game theory, Everything can be skewed. Uh, for instance, I can think of a dozen different ways just off the top of my head in which you can, you can start skewing results um, in uh, AI by simply altering the amount of information and the uh, type of information that I uh, put into the cycle that starts to influence uh, the answers that are coming out so th- this is not a panacea i agree it it certainly will get better and it will be able to uh, cl- as i said and i agree collect a tremendous amount of information and give you a number of options but those options have to be checked uh you know there was a, a case in which uh, a lawyer relied on ai to write his uh, uh his brief to the court Turns out it just made up a lot of sites and things like this. It was complete nonsense. And he got reprimanded because he thought, oh, he could rely on it to uh, gather the available case materials and then uh, put forward a cohesive argument. Obviously, that didn't work.
2: Uh, so Dr. Joe, so it's been suggested that in the next decade, more than 50% of jobs in the world will be replaced by AI. So what kind of jobs can be particularly vulnerable to AI competitors?
0: Yeah, in my understanding that uh, the AI is doesn't only one thing it's a many different levels of AI and for different purpose so uh, in this regard I would see that for nowadays if we are looking at the future maybe the first and more easily things are repeated work and some things have to be used for many time of computation and trying to find something in a very big database so those works are very easily to be taken by you know repeated programs and also some of the education or related work, they may need to just repeat the same thing to different students, different objectives. Maybe these things are more easily to be replicated. Well, I have to say that nowadays we still see many possibilities for some of the new development on the creation of new ideas, which is one of the worries by many of the you know the movie makers in the United States in Hollywood, mm. the composers of the the rights, composers of the movies. They're really worried about that because the AI is trying to do something even better than the human. But in this regard, I would say that maybe nothing, no job in the world cannot be replicated by some some certain degree of AI in the future. But uh, I, I would say that at the same time, we may still create more jobs related to the AI and trying to make it uh, better connected by the humans and uh, you know the different uh, willingness of us to interact with the world as a whole.
2: Mm, and Jia he, So talking about generating new jobs, what kind of new jobs will emerge as the AI and automation become more pervasive?
3: Well, I would say there are basically you know, two types of uh, jobs. The first one is very clear, the, the programs. You know, uh, the, the, the designing of the AI requires a very heavy amount of programming, and you can see a lot of related jobs with that, not just the programs. For example, as we uh, talked about before, the open AI re- requires a very large searching capability. And that means you have to build a lot of infrastructure to, to fit that. Uh, so, So there is also a lot of jobs created with related Uh, industries like producing hardware you know producing chips or uh, also the the science that uh, you know because we are currently all the countries around the world actually working on like quantum uh, computing so if that is developed then the AI program will be largely increased because we have we will have a much larger calculation capacity capacity compared with now. So these are the very directly related jobs uh, with, with the um, development of the AI and there is another part of the job I think people have omitted is that it's not directly related with the AI at all, but it's actually benefited because the prevailing of the AI and people, uh, because you know, uh, the, the, the the employment of the AI actually means we have a higher uh, production capacity. It's a bit like you know nowadays we use more cars, uh, so that we don't have to use all the uh, old tools riding horses compared with that. So that means the production the productivity of human beings will be largely increased in the next few decades because of the employment of AI in almost all areas. And that means a lot of jobs that were conducted by the human being in the past will be replaced by the AI. And that means human beings will be able to do the jobs that AIs uh, don't do. And that will resulting a very large increase of these kind of jobs, for example, the jobs relating with uh, you know uh, you know history, philosophy, uh, arts, all these kind of things that you can't rely on uh, an AI to draw a picture and people really say, okay, it's a nut. it's not a nut if you could it's it's contacted by a program. Mm. so so all these kind of jobs will actually be increased. it's it's not a result of the employment of the AI. It's not a direct result, but a result of the increase in productivity of the human being.
2: Mm-hmm. And Dr. Joe, so productivity will be increased, but how will AI and automation impact the economy in the near future? Will AI widen the economic divide, leading to greater income or wealth inequality?
0: Yeah, that is one of the concerns. I think that is also maybe some of the background that OpenAI has such kind of affairs because the, the different persons have different opinions about how can we use AI. Actually, I I, I believe that it. Uh, how the impact will also depends on the attitudes of the persons if we're still trying to stop the spread or usage of the AI tools and trying to keep what uh, what we, what we did do you know in the past for the traditional ways maybe we'll be lacked off so in this world in the globalization i think that technology is uh, still increasing no matter how you want or what you want to 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 stop it so we have to be very you know very welcomed and very actively and take part in this process so for many countries maybe they want to take part in this process but they do not have the capabilities to to be involved so in this regard so if we want to uh, you know reach the 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 goal of the development for the united nations we should try to help them to improve their abilities on the digital Uh, involvement and also improve their abilities using these AI tools. Mm.
2: And so Aina, so now a lot of discussions about how fast, you know, to developing the AI technology should be moving forward and how to regulate it. So what do you make of that? Actually, the U.S. has unveiled an executive order on artificial intelligence earlier and also the France, Germany and Italy have reached an agreement on how the AI should be regulated. So, Aina, should there be a global consensus on how to regulate the AI?
1: Yeah, it's it's very necessary. Otherwise, you set up these uh, silos where if you're doing something in the U.S., you have to uh, obey their rules. If it's in um, uh, Europe, you have to obey different rules. That doesn't make a lot of sense. The whole point about uh, uh, these things is to be able to draw good information, um, to ask uh, questions and get better answers. Uh, and you can't do that if you're, uh, trying to go across these things, but really, um, you know, the, the the basic difference in the approaches is that the US is saying, look, we, we were going to rely on the market, let the market figure it out. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll step in whenever they get out of line. And they have this uh, idea that you have to give a sandbox and, you know, the, um, the entities themselves have to notice the government if there's a problem. Well, that hasn't worked out very well in the past. Mm. Actually Europe and China have the same approach. They're saying, look, this has to be top down. We have to set. Uh, parameters of safety parameters that um, people have to obey, uh, companies have to obey when they're developing this in terms of privacy, in terms of, you know, uh, use, uh, the, ver- uh, the veracity, the truthfulness of information given. So, you know, and, and to understand the negative side, you have to understand uh, a lot how, how the uh, this will be driven. And I agree a lot with what my, uh, my colleague, uh, John said, uh, in terms of it has to be uh, something that's shared, but this is going to be profit driven. So, you know, in the movies, if they say, Oh, we don't want to do this. That's fine. Uh, movie making business will go somewhere else where you can do it. And the reason they'll do that is because it's a lot cheaper and better to uh, film something with a virtual star than a real one. You own the virtual star and you can have them in, uh, available 24 seven. And there's no, no real cost to it. Um, versus a real star and things like that. They're always, it's like, um, you know, records, vinyl. It'll never go out of style. I'm sure that there'll always be a need for real actors, but when it comes to uh, anything involving voices and and pictures and things like that, it's just gonna be a lot easier, overwhelmingly easier and cheaper to do it uh, with the help of AI, which can in fact draw pictures for you uh, if you give it the parameters. Is it art? Maybe not, Uh, but it can get get done what it's needed. And, you know, one of the things people understand is that it's an assistant. It doesn't take over your life. What it can do, it can only do what you ask it to do. So, therefore people who understand things and can ask the right questions will be far more uh, useful uh, than those who don't because it's, you know, as I said, you have to ask the right questions in order to get the right answers. Mm. And in terms of programming, yes, in fact, uh, it can be very helpful in terms of programming. And it has already shown uh, that ability. So programming is one of those areas where, uh, you know, you'll be very, if you're you're still in it, you're very smart, you understand the whole process. Uh, But a lot of the, you know, writing of code itself will be uh, not necessary because the machine can do it for you.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Northern Aki Technologies. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the local currency swap between China and Saudi Arabia. Stay with us. Deep, deep dive, and dive,
0: a podcast, podcast of CGTN Radio. Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around
3: the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Welcome. I'm Elaf Elard. Economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business and blockchain.
0: To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World
1: Today.
2: You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. China and Saudi Arabia have signed a local currency swap agreement worth up to 50 billion yuan, or nearly 7 billion U.S. dollars. The agreement, valid for three years and can be extended by mutual agreement, aims to enhance the financial cooperation between the two countries. So Dr. Zhou, China and Saudi Arabia inked a local currency swap to worth some 7 billion U.S. dollars. So what does this move mean for the potentially settling the more Saudi Arabia trade in the Chinese Yuan, and what might it mean for the bilateral investments?
0: Yeah, if we're talking about the bilateral trade and investment relations between our two countries, I would say that we have a very long term of uh, cooperations. Maybe from the last century, around the 1960s, we many of the Chinese companies went to Saudis and also the other Middle East countries to do the business to undertake the projects. So in the coming, in the you know the following many decades, uh, cooperation between our two countries has been enhanced a lot. By the different, you know, ways and also uh, different products, including the crude oil and also many electronic machineries and equipments. So the bilateral trade between our two countries has uh, very, uh, very prominent and continuously increased, even in the in the time of the COVID. I would say that the swap really means something because in the past, especially when the trade are happening or you know, used for the crude oil, many of the transactions have to be used in US dollars. So in the past, we see the fluctuations of US dollars about the exchange rate has uh, uh, many impacts on the other countries or in the world economies. So it is much more possible and also Important for both sides to trying to do something to diversify the risks of a certain or unilateral uh, currencies used in the international market, while to help the both sides for the companies to realize that we what we can do to support the transactions that can be you know uh, finished or you know uh, actually be used in the both sides currencies that is very helpful for both sides. Mm.
2: And so, Dr. Zhou, China has central bank currency swap agreement with. 40 countries and 29 of these are active, so why are more countries inking these currency swap deals with China?
0: I think there may be several reasons. first of all, that China is a uh, number one trading countries in the world, so we have so many trade relationship with so many countries. So if they can use the, the swap to trying to make it more uh, resilient and sustainable for the companies, they will reduce the risks of the currencies. And the second, that we see that uh, you know the, in the world there are so many impacts from the U.S. dollars, and the Federal Reserve has many decisions not considering about other countries' situation, which may. Make that many enterprises have to undertake the risks unwillingly mm. so they if we can use some swap we may make it much more better to to diversify this kind of uh, you know possible or risks mm. and third of all i, I would say that uh, you know uh, for both sides for china and many countries we want to make our economies developed and more diversified so we need more resources the resources is not so easy to get in the past by you know some U.S. dollars by trade, and that is very difficult. But if we can control or have better authorities on the ways of our fiscal and monetary policies, we may be better in the position to control our economies to make it better.
2: Mm. And Jiang he, so the Chinese Yuan hit a five-month high against the U.S. dollar this week. So what do you make of the Yuan's recent strength?
3: Yeah, we have saw that. it's It's been quite a while since, uh, you know, the, the uh, CNY has actually been depreciating against USD, and suddenly we had all a very sudden appreciation. And this really shows us um, this big, well, when the IMB was depreciating in the very first place, our investment company has actually had a discussion about uh, about the currency. And I say, it's, it, well, you know, my, my opinion as back at that time was that the uh, CNY is not going to depreciate um, for a long time and we will see the value come back to around seven. Uh, and the reason is very simple is because you know uh, the exchange rate between two currencies the long-term determination of this exchange uh, exchange rate is only determined by the economic growth. But um, uh, well, if you have one country that is keep on having a stronger economy, and in the long term, you will definitely see the country with a stronger economy will keep on having their currency appreciated. Mm.
2: Well, we're speaking with Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Northern Ark Technologies, Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese. Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing, thank you so much for listening.